0: Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and today I'm talking with author J. Ryan Straddle. J. Ryan Straddle is the author of now three formidable works of what I would call modern Americana, or perhaps new wave Americana. These are blue-collar odes, yes, but much more nuanced than that with well-defined characters who are grounded and relatable with realistic aspirations, believable temperaments, and quirks, and they are endeared to us because they are themselves either flawed or fighting for small victories or experiencing recognizable griefs or arriving at a palpable catharsis or sometimes coming just close or just short of that catharsis. J. Ryan Straddle has set his novels in his home state of Minnesota. He grew up in the southern Minnesotan town of Hastings graduated from northwestern university describing himself as something of a nerdy bookwormy character sticking out a bit amidst a family and a terrain of more rugged outdoorsmen but boy howdy does straddle pay homage to not only his family and specifically to the women of his family but he's crafted these subtly operatic generational stories where readers can start to see much of themselves, much of their own parents, specifically in the dynamics and the exchanges and the arguments and the partings. These are books that are a very refreshing and kind of invigorating spin on the coming-of-age story. His first novel, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, was followed up by The Lager Queen of Minnesota. His latest book, out this week, is called Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club. It's a book that spans just about a century of time, and it starts with Mariel Prager. Mariel needs a break. Her husband, Ned, is having an identity crisis. Her spunky, beloved restaurant is bleeding money by the day, and her mother, Florence, is stubbornly refusing to leave the church where she's been holed up now for more than a week. The Lakeside Supper Club has been in her family for decades, and while Mariel's grandmother embraced the business, seeing it as a saving grace, Florence, her own mother, never took to it. So when Marielle inherited the restaurant, skipping Florence, it created a rift between mother and daughter that never quite healed. Ned is also an heir to a chain of home-style diners, and while he doesn't have a head for business, he knows his family's chain could provide a better future than his wife's fading restaurant. In the aftermath, though, of a devastating tragedy, Ned and Mariel lose almost everything they hold dear and the hard-won victories of each family hang in the balance. With their dreams dashed, can one fractured family find a way to rebuild despite their losses? And will the Lakeside Supper Club be their salvation? So that is where we start with J. Ryan Straddle talking about the characters Mariel and Ned and Florence in the latest book, Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club. Here's our chat. been fun it's a roller coaster welcome to your next stop awesome (laughs) yeah we're coming to you from ferndale which is just north of detroit inside of a public library
1: oh sweet yeah i love michigan that was the last place i did an event before the pandemic i did um some libraries in uh the grand rapids area terrific we and uh, and a schuler books out there yeah i did did a few events yeah and uh yeah for years that was my last event it was like oh yeah michigan it's Wonderful state. I. There, Yeah, I've, I've done events all, all throughout the state. And unfortunately, I don't have one scheduled yet, but I'd love to come back. Our Such whole, great bookstores and libraries there.
0: Our climate is kind of like we feel like we're a spiritual cousin of Minnesota, you know? Oh, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's 42 degrees here in a Was it April? like
1: 80, like three days ago, <laughs> yeah. you know? or was, You know, you get the same kind of like fall springs and third winters and, exactly. you know, snow in April. Yeah, that, yeah. Lake effect snow, all that kind of stuff.
0: I feel yeah. so compelled by starting with something that may or may not be cliche, something that you might have heard before, but I have to tell you this, and I don't get the opportunity to tell authors this before. But uh, your your writing and your books helped me through a tough time.
1: Oh, thank you. That uh, means a lot to hear. Yeah, They helped absolutely. me through
0: a tough time. Absolutely, and I think yeah. I think especially all three of these, and even this one, are the kinds of books that really help people go through a tough time but not in maybe the way that you think that book would it's just you're so damn good at writing characters and delivering catharsis that it it's very enjoyable for the reader and i don't know how you do it so how do you do it (laughs) (laughs) talk about characters talk about really developing them because man it's so effective especially here with with mariel and ned
1: and florence oh thank you i really want to write about the kinds of people that you and I know in the Midwest that I don't see often enough in books. Yeah. It's it it just comes down to that. And once one of them asserts themselves, they just start talking to me and I take dictation. <laughs> like Florence is one of them. Florence just came out like Athena, just with a sword and shield, fully grown, saying this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. All right, kid, you're going to write this. This is, you know, I'm going to dictate to you what I'm going to do and you, you don't have to like it a lot of people won't but right. hey you're gonna write me on my terms yeah i'm gonna tell you like what i'm gonna do and i just took her orders i mean what else can you do with florence you just go along like you either leave the room or you do what she wants sure. yeah that's those are the, those are your choices with florence um and what about mariel yeah. oh mariel's my mom like 80 percent, my mom okay. so that was you know with 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 to varying extents in each of my books there's my mom is a character mm-hmm. or a, an aspect of a character i i write to keep her alive you know she wanted to be a novelist herself and passed away at age 54 before she could start working on a book so i'm i'm writing her books i'm writing her into them i'm writing characters based on her as a means of communicating with her and mariel's that character in this book that's 80% karen um she was, uh, my mom was a waitress at Perkins, which is kind of loosely what Jorby's is based on, you know, that kind of Perkins, Bob Evans, Denny's happy chef, kind of sure. fast casual, like dining, like family diner style restaurant.
0: We, we had some Ponderosa's uh, around here.
1: Oh, Ponderosa is another great example. In Minnesota, there used to be one called Embers, same kind of thing. <laughs> like these local, ch- these regional chains, but yeah. still a chain and. I thought it was so cool that my mom was a waitress at that kind of place but had the same kind of experiences she was in a cloud of cigarette smoke all day Mm -hmm. you know uh had not always uh not always the happiest experience there but nonetheless i was still so proud of her Mm -hmm. you know also when she quit and went back to college and got her english degree and started publishing poetry Mm -hmm. i was even more proud of her i was like wow there's a published writer in our house now but i never forgot how cool it was that i thought she worked at perkins you know um (laughs) And, yeah, I wanted to capture that. I wanted to capture, um, well, Ned is kind of, he's a lot of me, you know. Mm-hmm. If I had been born into a family like that, I would have ended up like Ned, you know. I would have thought, how do I become a corporate shark? i <laughs> The answer is I probably don't. Yeah. I just try to get along, yeah, despite my parents' expectations. And then there's Julia, who's a, another character that came to me fully formed, and she's, I don't know. It's hard to pick a favorite character, but she was so easy to write, so peaceful and thoughtful. And I just found her voice immediately and just let it flow. Mm-hmm. Just sat down and let her let her point of view dictate her direction. Mm-hmm. That's it. I just think of characters that have a point of view, like that usually, you know, if not running in opposition to their environment in a way that's not always complimentary or complimentary in unexpected ways and so that helps like so i know my setting mm-hmm. i know these characters and you know either pit them against each other in a way that is um, you know not so much antagonistic but at cross purposes maybe or sure. like hey they each have a dream and you can you kind of are cheering for each in their own way but you know that these dreams can't coexist that some compromises are going to have to be made i find that's a more common element in my life than people that are purely nemeses (laughs) or antagonistic you know there's not someone out there who's yet who's pointedly trying to thwart my every move uh but there are people in my life who like hey they want something that's perfectly wonderful and awesome that hey it might prevent me from getting what i want you know so yeah that kind of happens and I wanted to set those dynamics in motion through these characters as opposed to just purely plot-driven or antagonism-driven dramas. So nonetheless, it's still a multi-generational story, so people die, a lot of people die, you know, as it happens over 100 years. Um, but people change, and I wrote Florence in mind, thinking that I want to write a character that demonstrates it's never too late for someone to be a good parent. And what would that look like? What kind of journey could they go on? And under whose terms and how do they finally make a decision that's not completely selfish? <laughs> sure. Yeah.
0: What I you make it hard to choose sides. And that's because you put the work in developing the characters. But also yeah. it's hard to choose sides in families in general. And you write about families. Uh, You know, when anyone asks me what kinds of books I like to read, I always say, well, I like family sagas and Mm. I like good characters and I like uh, generation time jumps. And I realize I'm basically describing a J. Ryan Straddle book now. Mm. Can you talk about, but like talk about time jumps and talk about going over a hundred years and the idea of this building, the, the lakeside, kind of being this ever present thing and what, but even, but even thinking about back to, to lager queen, the idea of the time jumps, uh, is really effective. What do you, what draws you to that? And why, why do you employ it?
1: When I'm writing about a character Mm -hmm. from another character's point of view, and I realize I'm writing a flashback scene or a memory and I start thinking, oh no, no, no. This flashback scene is getting a little long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This needs to be its own chapter. And it probably needs to be from the point of view of the character being discussed. I love the fallibility and reliability issues that come with the character speaking from their own point of view and close third. Uh I mean, early on, I had a writing instructor tell me that, oh, you'll believe what another character says about a character, but never what the character says about themselves. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoy exploring that subjectivity and letting the reader come to his or her own conclusions about what is real and what is exaggerated or false in a character's recollection or actions. And I try to put things in, in present time as much as possible. So things aren't merely recollections because then you're also dealing with the weight of the wisdom. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I telling it from this point? Mm -hmm. Is this is the received wisdom from the intervening time going to be a factor in this recollection? Mm -hmm. No, quite often, I'd rather have characters experience things in real time where they may not be equipped with such wisdom where you understand how they become the person they are through how they dealt with a crisis in their childhood or teenage years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that would be important with Florence because I'd, I'd written all of Mariel's chapters first. And had that been all that existed of Florence, Florence might come across at worst as sort of a stock comic, you know, Midwestern lady of a certain age. And we have we have more than enough of that. Right. I, I don't want... I. I grew up with these women. I don't want to reduce them to a stereotype or a caricature. I wanted Florence the opportunity to tell her own story Mm -hmm. and know, go back. And I want the reader to experience that story along with her and understand her better. They still may not agree with her. I've had readers already tell, the book's not even out yet. And I've gotten emails from people like, I hated Florence. Like I would have given this book like five stars if it weren't for Florence. Mm -hmm. You know, Florence reminded me of my mom, you know. It brought up too oh. many bad memories, oh, you know. Man. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, Florence is is based on, um, you know, people I've known, right? But also people that I love, right? And I want to give them a fair shake, you know. It's like, yeah, sure. There's right. people out there that suffered trauma that never worked on it, never will work on it, um. And won't communicate enough about that trauma. Mm-hmm to generate empathy in their children you know like their ch- even their own children don't know the extent of what they experienced and might appreciate it if they did you know like for example like when Flor- like what little mariel knows about her mom's childhood comes through and like well in my day like we didn't have warm breakfasts every morning right you know like like at one point mariel says something like the only thing i knew about my mom was its many uh, like 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 the lessons from her many privations yeah. And so yeah, exactly. When when something becomes didactic or dogmatic, yeah, you're not gonna have empathy with that. Right. When someone like clearly is vulnerable and shares their suffering with you, you can. And I wanted to give the reader that shake with Florence. Like I don't think Florence would ever be vulnerable with Mariel. I mean eventually she kind of is. Sure. Like but you know, on her own terms. But I wanted the reader nonetheless to have that opportunity. Yeah. So like I said, they still may not like florence but at least they'll understand her
0: this book is very much about motherhood and i always thought that uh lager queen was also about motherhood and i don't necessarily want to get into kind of a barbara walters moment with you but you <laughs> uh, and this is not me speaking this is the fairer sex who work here and speaking they say he writes women so well and i read you know of the books i'm like oh man he just he just knows how to make a character and by that he really knows how to craft a a female character and I have to imagine that came from you said you grew up with these women when you became a novelist you you could have written thrillers or action or sci-fi but you really wanted
1: to bring these people to the page I think that's worth remarking upon Wow yeah I've never heard anyone put it quite like that before that yeah I really could have
0: you could have done anything
1: yeah but you're bringing these people to life and it, and it does feel like it is an homage to the people who are probably big influences on your life. I know that's a yes or no question. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And I write to keep my mom alive. I write to communicate with her and she's in these characters. Yeah. You know, I have to, like, I want to honor and continue her legacy. And, you know, to the extent I can try to be the writer that she couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um. so, yeah, I also not seeing women like the women I grew up with represented in fiction often enough. That that alone was a motivation, but writing to communicate with my mom is what I think really drives me. And early on in my writing career, I wrote mostly comedic stuff. I wrote mm-hmm. stuff to amuse myself and my friends. And eventually, I had a writing instructor named Lou Matthews at UCLA Extension when I started taking writing classes as an adult in my late 20s and early 30s, who told me, once you start writing about things you care about, your work's going to get a lot better. And I knew, I know what I care about. I know what I'm avoiding. And that's processing the grief over my mom's death. You know, she died and she died 18 years ago. She never lived to see my first published story. And um Whenever some piece of publicity comes out, like I was in People Magazine last week, my mom would have loved that. Yeah. My mom was totally normcore, yeah. you, know? <laughs> you know. Like She loved chain Mexican restaurants and, you know, dirty martinis, and you know. Yeah. And uh, People Magazine and reality television. And, like, that would have been just to the moon, like that would have been better than me being in the new yorker right. you know or something like that 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 wouldn't have rated for her like people yeah you like yeah and i think oh man i miss her so much and when i'm writing her i miss her you know i get to be with that i get to work on it yeah. i get to inhabit this space where she's like these books like my box of books that are right behind me uh arrived on the 18th anniversary of her death and i remember thinking and i actually posted this like, she's dead, but in these books, she's alive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, here she is, like, and that's why I do this, you know? That's why I write about these women, you know? I write to, you know, write to keep my mom alive and also, you know, honor honor her and her friends and my other rel- my Aunt Connie, my Grandma Doris, my Grandma Esther, my great Aunt Sissy, like, they didn't get to write books, mm-hmm. you know? So, I, I do my best to honor them and write, write about them.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I could could talk to you for hours, especially on this subject, but I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing so much and for writing these wonderful books. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that it has to end early, but come back on our podcast for the next book. Exactly. Let's do this again. Take care. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: And that was my chat with Jay Ryan Straddle, the author of New York Times bestseller, Kitchens of the Great Midwest, and the national bestseller, The Lager Queen of Minnesota. His latest out this week is called Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club. We're so glad to have him on the podcast. And we were so glad that you listened to this episode. It's the latest from A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, which is brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. We thank John Duffy for giving us music to open and close this podcast. And we would encourage you to leave us a review because that could really help us find new listeners. Rate, review, subscribe. Anything you could do would be great. Or you could visit FerndaleFriends.org to find out more. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.